everyone. My name's Alex. I'm recording this for our podcast, just if you wonder why there's this big thing in my back pocket. I did do a bit of prep for this talk, but I'm probably going to read my notes. Sorry about that. I haven't done that much prep, but talking to Craig and I guess reflecting on the past eight years of this community and this movement, I realised that the things that I'd blogged about and the things that I'd done talks about were the things that I was most passionate about at the time. And so I thought if I went back and just reflected on those things, then that would be good things to talk about this talk. So, and there's a couple of things that happen when you do a talk or you write a blog. One is you kind of make those concepts more permanent for yourself because you reason them through and then you can access those ideas again later. And the other thing is you kind of make them permanent and put them out in the world. And this can sometimes backfire like that time when I wrote quick resource leveling with, with Microsoft Project and other project manager style blogs that I'd probably rather forget. In my career, I've worked in many companies as a tech leader, originally as a developer in tech leadership roles and eventually big organisations in those roles. But also most of my career actually was in consultancy, helping other companies to move forward with agility. The latest and the greatest of those is Reboot Co. Tony and I founded Reboot Co. about a year ago. We're trying to work on our pitch to make it make sense to our clients a bit more. But the reason we formed and I think what will resonate with this group here is that we transform working environments so people love their job. So I've gone through my back catalogue to see kind of what I was passionate about and what I talked about over the years and I've picked out just a few that we'll talk about today here. Around 2010 and 2011 I was all about helping fix up tech teams that couldn't deliver software, couldn't deliver value to their customers. I was working inside a company in a company called Insurance Line and we had about eight teams of work. We had transformed to agile ways of working, but it was still quite a battle back then. So a battle to fight the kind of traditional default ways that that organisation was working in. And I learned a few things from, from that period of time. So I learned that putting your hands on your hips, rolling your eyes and sighing and saying, they just don't get it doesn't really get you very far. And yeah, I talked around that time. In fact, Martin was my coach back then. I don't know if he remembers, but I, I woke up dreaming that Martin had said to me, can you send me through your talk? And I thought, oh my God, this is all happening again. But I uh, <laughs> sp spoke at Agile Australia and the topic was better IT departments. And I, I was super nervous about speaking in front of a, a, a large crowd. But I felt like if I could just get out what the teams had achieved, then I would make that permanent and we could sort of bank those successes and no one could ever make us go back to, to working in old ways again. So in my battles, I was very kind of shut down to my peers and other people I worked with. So when I lead teams, I become super invested in, in those teams and I give such a lot of trust that it can sometimes make me quite combative to other people within the organisation that I'm working with. So because I was competitive, people didn't listen to me, they didn't trust me, and so that affected my ability to, to make change. But I think that's why we see that in organisations as well. So when you see that kind of defensiveness or that unwillingness to um, take a, accountability or ownership, that's because people have feeling that ownership and accountability. And I think if you can harness that for good, then it can be a really powerful thing. So the other thing I learned was that I could do a big talk at a conference and here we are doing another one today. And so that's what I would say to anyone who thinks that they don't like public speaking. Um, if you put in the effort and put in the prep, maybe a little bit more prep than I did today, um, it can be done. So my next talk and obsession lasted for a good while and it was about the horrors of scaling and it was called Scaling Over the Horror. And it was the culmination of three big transformations that I'd been 
I guess, part of catalyzing. One was Insurance Line, which I just talked about. Another one was AIA, where I met Tony. And the third one was Australia Post. And I noticed that large frameworks seem to be all the rage. Martin just referenced them as well. I wanted to talk about why being intentional about scaling was important. And I also felt strongly that writing software was a, a product of communication, not process and documentation. And that it was important that you can't just you can't just scale that kind of communication and interaction with people in, on a linear fashion, it just doesn't work. And that was a flawed idea. So I presented this one at last conference and a few other places, but I was still mainly talking about technology teams working with business rather than technology teams and business being a unified thing back then. At the time, Agile was the flavor of the day, big places like OzPost were doing it and the rise of mobile and digital disruption meant that it, it, it started this kind of panic inside organizations that, oh my God, everyone has to be Agile because we all have to build apps. And the frameworks were the choice for some of those. So I left OzPost and decided to become a consultant again. I just couldn't take that big company politics anymore. I felt like I was walking in every day and putting a mask on and I couldn't say authentically what I believed or what I felt on, on any particular opinion. And that culminated in a personal low point for me when I was in a lift and found myself in a shouting match with a project manager and a program manager over the cost of a small change that one of my teams had to, had to make. Why, why can changing text on a website cost $1,000? They raged. Um, your team must be hopeless. I said, why don't you go and ask the team why it costs so much? And you know, we were literally shouting to each other. And it wasn't really an issue that deserved all of that hot air or angst, but it was just what happens inside an organisation when you kind of get that clash of cultures. Um, and it was the build up of tension inside the organisation that, that have resorted to this kind of like really lack of respect in communication and breakdown in communication. And we found that, you know, this just kept happening. The incumbent PMO kept trying to wedge our digital teams back into their default ways of working. Even though what we wanted for the teams was them to build these awesome digital, digital products and for the teams to be awesome. So there was an innocent bystander in the lift that day and I, I don't know who that was. I often wonder who that was and what he must have thought of what he witnessed that day. But that's kind of what I mean when I get sort of too invested in, and passionate in teams. So after that, I suppose I was consulting, I needed to detox from all things big and did an experimental talk, well, a talk about creating experiments and creating tiny MVPs. You probably remember at that time, Lean Enterprise, Lean Startup had been out for a while. And I think all of us were kind of getting into that idea of experimenting more, building MVPs, rather than kind of doing big projects and, and um, embarking on big endeavours. And I think the startup community, we have a lot to thank the startup community for that. So accelerators, incubators, labs, they were all into to doing things really rapidly and not kind of embarking on big journeys. So that was hot back then. In 2015 and from a safe distance, pardon the pun, I noticed that frameworks were really digging in their heels and starting to embed and I was motivated to speak again on the topic of bigness and scaling and spoke on a topic that people still come and ask me about. Maybe it was all the memes I used, but it was agile framework scaling in the debate. And you might remember as well the year before Keith Dodds and Dean Leffingwell had had a bit of an agile stash at Agile Australia, which was kind of amusing. But we had Usafe at OzPost and I had watched in dismay where I saw the teams had lost their creativity and, and kind of lost a bit of their autonomy and lost a bit of the enjoyment of, of the work. So I did this round of talks a few times, Agile Encore, CTO Summit, Scrum Australia, where I knocked up this little flow chart that I tweeted about this morning, which funnily enough I, hang on, I hung on to, um, about whether or not you should choose safe. 
I really wanted companies to think critically about whether they should spend hundreds and thousands of dollars in training and also hundreds and thousands of dollars getting together every quarter just because managers couldn't let teams alone to do great stuff. I think a lot of us might feel that SAFE has done a lot of irreparable brand damage to Agile in our community. You know, I've gone into coach teams who, have, who, who do crazy stuff because they've kind of bought into this framework and, and they're also wondering why so much money and so much effort for results that seem a bit meh. Then I worked at REA Group back inside the organisation and running tech teams in 2016. I was lured back by amazing culture and a real delivery focus um, and I was um, co-opted first reluctantly and then enthusiastically into, I guess, the topic of diversity. Through that I became quite passionate about mentoring women in tech, which I still do. Um, I think we're moving in a really great direction in that area and I think agility and diversity kind of intermeshing as a topic is a really great thing. and. I, you know, I don't want to talk on behalf of all of you, but I think a lot of us have internalised the idea now that having really diverse teams creates high performance. So it's kind of nice that we got there. I did a small stint at Invato, a place I still love to rave about, another fantastic culture with a really nice set of customers. I happen to be one of them. I wrote the collaboration here, there and everywhere blog because I, after Invato I went into ANZ and there were a lot of people panicking about the fact that they had flexible working arrangements at ANZ and they thought that new ways of working meant that they were all going to get called back to the office again, much like Yahoo and IBM had done by calling a lot of their workers back to the office and saying you can't work flexibly anymore. So I blogged about how these problems of working remotely and using agile approaches um, were solvable. My next passion and sort of one of our current passions is the disruption of HR and how things like performance reviews are quite antithetical to performance and we presented about that at last conference and we're still working on that one but if you want to run experiments or you are running experiments about alternatives to traditional HR then we'd love to talk to you and be part of that. Two blogs about that one can be found on our site and in the last three weeks in my last seconds, I'll just talk about Agile Coaches versus Big Consultancy. It's a debate that's, that's kind of come up in the last few weeks. It's, I think, interesting because I think it shows that we're truly moving beyond the team and into the C-suite. And we're moving away from teams and um, tech departments and talking about being strategic. So we can see how big consultancies have probably lifted the profile of Agile, but also how in the midst of that we have Agile coaches who feel they're being ignored. Catch more on that debate at our podcast. I interviewed Phil at the back there and Murray last week and have more people we're going to talk to about that. So here we are in 2018 and we have moved from the passionate to being strategic. Hooray for us, Agile is helping to bring change. But I think it's important not to forget, and I think uh, Martin referenced this, about why we're passionate and not to lose that passion or lose our heart. When I interviewed Murray recently for the podcast, he said Agile made his work life better, but also made his life better in general. So imagine that. Agile makes your life better and imagine that impact that that's had on all of us here. So that's why I say we have to remember why we're passionate and that's why we continue to be committed to Agile and that's why we continue to be committed to our destiny which is transforming the, the lives of teams and companies so that people love their work. Thank you.